Amen. So, if this is your first time coming to a, sorry, if this is your first time coming to a Good Friday service, you're going to see it's a little bit different. This isn't really, it doesn't start out as a celebration uh, because of what happened. So you're going to see a little bit more of a somber tone tonight, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that as we go along. So um, don't think that some of us are tired as we're doing this tonight. There's a reason for it. So I start out by simply saying good evening, brothers and sisters. I am Mark Hattiger, and I'm blessed, honored, and humbled to be the pastor at Middleville and Salisbury Center, United Methodist Churches, where we expect miracles, recognize miracles, and celebrate those miracles together. I do have a couple announcements. I don't know if you have anything. Sunrise service, uh, Sunday morning, Resurrection Sunday, we will be meeting at the Covered Bridge at 6.30. If you have a part that you're helping us, be there early, please. Uh, so we'll be there at 6.30. People are already worried about snow and rain. If you're worried about snow and rain, I'll probably say it's okay to come inside the church, but um, I'm hoping that we can stick it out and, and do it outside where, where it has so much more meaning. So that's at 6 o'clock. Uh, 6.30, followed by breakfast here at 7, followed by a worship service at 8.30 at Middleville, followed by a 10 o'clock service here at Salisbury Center. Um, I would ask you tonight that as you, as you hear the scripture readings that are going to be read, I would ask you to please, and I'll try to remind you, please open your Bibles to those. We have quite a few scripture readings tonight, and I would just ask you to get in that habit. Open the Bibles up. Uh, if you don't have one near you now, it's a good time to hunt it down. But just be involved in this story. This is an amazing story we're going to talk about tonight. So it just means that much more when you see it or when you see the words. That's all I have. Thank you. The memory verse for this evening is from Luke chapter 22, verse 44. In his anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. Let us pray. On this day, God of all tears, you call us in the midst of our busy lives to look at the suffering and death of the one who came to carry the pain of the world into your heart. Give us eyes to see your love this day. Give us ears to hear your pain this day. On this day, Holy Spirit, pray for us for we cannot find the words on our own. Hear the cries of those in need. Listen to the lament of the lonely. Cradle the whispered hopes of children. Set free the dreams of prisoners and captives. Give us hearts to pray with you on this day. God and community, we lift our prayers to you in the name of the one who suffered and died for us on this day. And that name is Jesus Christ. Amen. If you would all please stand and help me sing Gloria Patri, found on page 70, and remain standing for the call to worship.
He was despised and rejected by others, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But it was his punishment that made us whole. His bruises that healed us, and we give them He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. It was through him that God's will was made to prosper. It was because of his anguish that we can see light, and we give thanks. He is our high priest, touched by our infirmities, suffering as we have suffered. He is our living example, our He is the stone that the builders rejected, that became the head cornerstone. He is the last that became first. Through him we are challenged to live in a new way, to love in a new way, to be in a new way. And for this we give thanks. Please be seated. Our scripture for this evening is from Matthew, chapter 26, verses 47 through 56. That's Matthew, chapter 26, verse 47. While he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward seized Jesus and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled? that say it must happen in this way. In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple, courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place, that the writings of the prophets may be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Becky. <clears throat> the title to tonight's message, of course, is It is Finished. It is Finished. As we gather tonight and read of the arrest, the trial, and the murder of Jesus, I want you to remember what I emphasized last week in my message, that Jesus Christ is fully human at this point. As we go through all of this, remember he is human. He was God, but he was fully human as he suffers this week. Last week, we witnessed Christ's triumphant entry into Jerusalem. He rode a donkey to cheers of Hosanna to the son of David. And of course, the streets were lined with all those palm fronds as he rode in. During the week, he did his work. He was teaching, he was preaching. And he was clearing the temple of those corrupt 
money exchangers. For those of, the, you, uh, those of you that attended the service last night, the Monday Thursday service, you might have recounted Jesus' last supper with his disciples. We know that he washed the feet of the disciples as they prepared to share in that Passover feast. We hear his words in Luke twenty-two fifteen through 16. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. It was on that night that Jesus faced his accuser, Judas, and he predicted that Peter would deny him three times before the rooster crowed the next morning. So the dinner is over, the betrayer is off to do his evil, and Jesus takes his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Marlene, if you would. Thank you. So during this time, we read that uh, Judas arrived with those religious leaders and soldiers to arrest Jesus, betraying him with a kiss. We kind of fast forward. He was taken to the home of Cephas, the high priest, where the whole council gathered and began making their case against Christ. Meanwhile, in the early morning hours, as Jesus' trial was getting underway, Peter denied knowing Jesus three times before that rooster crowed. 
just like Jesus told them that he would. Then the so-called trial of our Lord and Savior begins with these verses. In the dark, of course, because Satan does his best work in the darkness. I'll be reading Luke chapter 22, verses 63 through 71. Now the men who were holding Jesus began to mock him and beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophecy, who is that that struck you? They kept heaping many other insults on him. When the day came, the assembly of the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, gathered together, and they brought him to the council. They said, If you are the Messiah, tell us. He replied, If I tell you, you will not believe, and if I question you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. All of them asked, are you then the Son of God? He said to them, You say that I am. Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. Thank you. Jesus was then sent to Pilate for questioning. Pilate then sent him to Herod, where they mocked him and dressed him in a gorgeous robe before returning him once again to Pilate. Finding no fault worthy of death, Pilate offered to punish and discipline him instead and to release him, for it was customary to release a prisoner at the feast. But the crowd would have none of it. And Rich is going to read for us this morning, this evening, uh, the account. I'm reading from Luke 23, 18-26. And they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barbarus, who is a certain sedition made in the city, and for murder was cast into prison. How, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spoke again to them. But they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, Why, what evil hath he done? If I found no cause of death for him, I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were in instant, and they were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they had required. And he released unto them him <coughs> for that sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they had desired, but he delivered Jesus to their will. And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, Cyrenian coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross, that he might bear it after Jesus, the word of God. Thank you, Rich. And so what we see here is the beginning of a, a murder of an innocent man. And I'll be reading from Luke 23, 32 through 43. Luke 23, 32 through 43. It reads this way. Two others also, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull, 
They crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching. But the leader scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. We read of his death and burial that took place over 2,000 years ago. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance, watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Aramaic, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. And he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the command. Thank you, Sue. So, it's finished. Christ has died. Christ has been buried at this point. Tonight we sit here in the present, in the year 2022. We read the account of Jesus' arrest, the mock trial and murder. And maybe we start wondering, how could that have happened? The Jews were experts in the Bible. It said that they could recite the first five chapters by memory. They knew well the prophecies of Isaiah announcing the coming Messiah. So maybe we sit back and wonder, how could they have been so blind? How did they not recognize who Christ was, that he was the Messiah? And how 
could they have wanted him dead? Well, the bad news is it wasn't just them. We all played a part in the death of Jesus Christ. See, that was God's plan from the beginning of time. That his son would take on flesh and come into the world with one main mission. To die. To die for all of us. Past, present, and future. To die so that we may have life. Life eternal. His work on the cross and more importantly, his resurrection was done for one reason. To atone for the sins of mankind from the time of Adam to the time of now and a time until he returns again so that those who choose him as Lord and Savior will spend eternity with him and Father God. So we talked about him being human. That means that every time a lash a lash landed on his back. Each one of our names could have been called out. Imagine that whip landing and hearing Jesus cry out, This one's for Pastor Mark and all his sins. Maybe you could hear him call out your name as the next one lands, tearing away muscle and, and skin. The Bible says he never cried out. But if he did, that's what I think we would have heard. I imagine him saying, that's all right, Pastor Mark, I've got this, so you don't have to. I've got your back. I'm taking this for you, Pastor Mark. Your salvation is worth every stripe I take. Lash after lash after lash. Imagine him calling out, Pastor Mark, it's for you. Donnie, it's for you. Peyton, Steve, Marlene, Becky, I took that one for you because you're worth it. And the list goes on and on until every one of our names could be called out. And those lashes that are striking our king, he reminds us that was how much he loved us. Or maybe that's what he's saying after each one. Maybe he's saying, I love you, Mark Jones, as he takes another lash. Or I love you, Warren. I love you, Daisy, going all the way through, Alan, Jean, going all the way through every lash. I love you. This is how much I love you as he gets whipped. And then the time comes. <laughs> They're going to nail him to a tree. They're going to nail him, our Savior, to that old rugged cross. And as I wrote this before, I got to think, and I, I wonder which one of those nails would be mine. I ask because I know some of those nails belong to me. 
But they belong to you too. As a matter of fact, those nails belong to every single person that lives or will live. See, because Christ was crucified for all of us. And all means all. Those nails were used because of our sins. Well, if you'd... So maybe as they start to nail him to that old rugged cross, maybe each one of our sins is, is called out, blow after blow. Maybe as, as we hear the nail piercing him and going in, you can hear him say, this is for Pastor Mark's pride. Maybe you'll hear him say your name as they nail him to that cross over and over. Another strike of the nail and another sin called out. Jesus took those nails for our sins. I know which ones are mine. Which ones do you think belong to you? Which nail of yours was hammered into Jesus Christ for your sins? Thank you. See, Jesus was kind of Jesus was kind of like that big brother or sister some of us had growing up. Or maybe you were that big brother or big sister, somebody that would stand in front of you to protect you and, and take insults for you or a whooping for you. That was my Lord, our Lord. He took every insult, slap, whip, and nail so we didn't have to. His body was unrecognizable by the time he made it to Calvary. I sometimes wonder if I was worth the beating that he took for me. But our Father God, the creator of the universe, the creator of mankind, says that I am. And he says that you are. No matter what we've done, we're worth it. The enemy wants us to think that we're not worth it. We rebuke the enemy. The enemy, Satan is a liar. Jesus Christ called him the father of all lies. We listen to Jesus. He took those nails because we are worth it. We're made worthy through him. Jesus died for all of us. John 3.16 reminds us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whomsoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Do you know what that means? It means that we're, he died for all of us. All of us. God is not a respecter of persons. And not only did he die for us, he died for those two criminals you heard from the reading earlier. Picture, if you will, Jesus up on that cross with his hands nailed, reaching out to the criminal on his left and the criminal on his right, reaching out. But only one made the choice to reach out and accept 
his offer of salvation. They both had the chance to accept Jesus. They both had the same free will, just like we do today. But only one recognized Christ and realized that he needed a Savior up on that cross. As you're picturing his arms out to the criminals, I want you to imagine his arm has reached out to each one of us the same way he did to them, the same way he does for the world. His arms are extended, and all he asks us to do is to accept his offer. I don't know what sin the enemy might have told you out there that that your sin was so bad that our Savior couldn't forgive you. It's a lie. There's not a sin I did, not a sin that you did that Christ will not forgive you for if you ask him. Earlier, we read that Jesus was so distressed that when he sweat, he sweat blood in that garden with large drops falling on the ground. But it wasn't, it wasn't because he was afraid of being beaten. And it wasn't because he was afraid of hanging on that cross. Remember, the Bible says that ministering angels were sent to him to strengthen him, to help him. Remember, he's fully human. So he had ministering angels that were helping him get through this. That's not what he was afraid of, brothers and sisters. He was distressed because he knew that God was going to impose every sin and every transgression of man onto him. My sins, my transgressions were put on his back. Your sins, your transgressions, all of ours. He took all of our sins, all of our transgressions with him when he went to that cross. Which meant that he would have to be separated from our Father God. That's what he was distressed about. That he would be separated for the first time from his father. Because remember, God and sin cannot coincide. So when those sins were placed on Jesus, there was a separation. He sweat blood. Sweat blood at the thought of being separated from our creator. And so should we. So should this sick and troubled world that they would see that truth and sweat blood, fearful of being separated for eternity. So I'm asking each of you tonight to reach out and take that hand that he offers on the cross. Accept that sacrifice that he made for each and every one of us. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. His blood sacrifice covers our sins. And if we choose to accept him, we will never be separated from him ever for eternity. Billy Graham said the greatest act of humility in the history of the universe is when Jesus Christ stooped to die on the cross of Calvary.
He said, and before any man or woman can get to heaven, he or she must kneel at the foot of the cross and acknowledge that he or she is a sinner and that he or she needs the grace of God in Christ. He said, no man or woman can come proudly to the Savior. I would ask you all to take time to confess your sins to him tonight. If you'd like to come to the altar, the altar is always open. It's not about me, it's not about you, it's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to come up and kneel at the altar, stand at the altar, it's open. You don't need permission ever in this church, in either one of our churches. Our altars are always open. So if you haven't asked for forgiveness tonight, maybe a good night to do that. See, because he already took the whooping for the sins that we're going to confess. He already took it. And if you haven't accepted Jesus into your life yet, I would ask you to pray these words with me. Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I repent of my sins. Please forgive me. I believe you came to earth, died for me, and was buried. I believe you rose from the grave and now sit at the right hand of our Father God Almighty. Lord, come into my heart as my Lord and Savior. Amen. That's, that's it, brothers and sisters. Jesus did all he did just so he could hear people say that prayer. He went to the cross so people would, would recognize who he is and call on him for salvation. All that for less than a two-minute prayer. That's it. If you said that prayer for the first time, Jesus promises you an, e an eternal life with him. A life we know with no pain, no sorrow, no sickness, no sadness. A life of eternity with him. And certainly no COVID-19. Jesus said it is finished right before he gave up his life for us on that old rugged cross. But he didn't stay on that cross. Thank God. And he didn't stay in that tomb either. But we're going to talk about that Sunday morning. Let us pray. Father God, the hosannas have died away and the palm branches have turned brittle. Now today there's only this. Each of us, all of us, sitting in the darkness, the hymns of lament in the air, the mumblings of our own feeble confession on this Friday, which we tremble to call good. What is good about Good Friday, Lord? What is good about the innocent one nailed to a cross? What is good about the darkness of war that still persists today? What is good about the fog of addiction, depression, disease and despair. There is nothing good and desirable in these things. Yet you, Lord, you are good. 
When suffering reigns, yours is the first heart to break. When despair lurks about, we remember that you were there first, peering into the darkness, crying out, Father, forgive them. When we feel forsaken, we remember that in your last moments, your last moments, you cared for your mother and your beloved disciple, binding them to one another as a new family. When we feel overcome by guilt, we remember that you spoke grace to a thief. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Your love for us is just that boundless and ever-present and good. We thank you. What else can we say here but thank you? Amen. Amen. Now, we're going to end tonight's service by singing, Were You There Together? But I'm going to give the benediction first. At the completion of the song, we're going to dim the the lights and we're going to walk out in darkness. It'll be light out there. I would ask you not to talk. I would ask you not to hug each other goodbye. To put yourself in the moment we have just witnessed Christ's murder. Jesus Christ stretched out his arms of love on that hardwood of the cross so that everyone might come within the reach of that saving embrace. We too are called to reach out our hands in love this day and every day, that we may help bring those who don't know Jesus to the knowledge and love of him. And now receive the benediction. Jesus, we wait here by your tomb carrying our grief, the grief of the betrayer, the grief of the denier, and the grief of the crucifiers. We carry the grief of the lost and the heartbroken. Upon you was laid the grief of us all. It is finished. God of endings, God of darkness, God of the tomb, God of dark days and great loss, be with us now and bless us as we wait for the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen.